turn to John chapter 6 this morning. We're entering back into the story of Jesus at the Feast of Booths, where we began to look at this two weeks ago and saw all the different ways that people were responding to Jesus. And here, Jesus gives us a better picture of who he is. This passage of Scripture, many commentators have said that outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, this is the most visual and the most dramatic event of his entire ministry. I hope by the end of our time together this morning, you'll understand why. John chapter 7, beginning at verse 37, this is what John records. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would teach us by your word, that you would Help us to drink deeply from you, and that through you, your spirit would flow through us. We pray this in your son's name, amen. This morning, as we enter into this passage, I um, just want to give you a heads up that this message is structured a little bit differently than I, than I typically do, and so um, I just urge you just to listen and follow along what the word of God says. Two things we want to get out of this passage here. The first one is to understand how this feast points to Jesus, and then there's something even better. So let's look at what's going on here. In this passage, we see in verse 37 that it says, On the last day of the feast, Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem. There is this feast that is occurring. This feast was the Feast of Booths. It was one of the three great feasts that the nation of Israel participated in. It was so significant that all who were within a 20-mile radius of Jerusalem were required to attend. This feast, the Feast of Booze, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, was a harvest festival. It's kind of like a combination for us between the spirit of Christmas, which goes on for a week, and Thanksgiving. So everyone would gather together for a great big party with you know, their version of pumpkin pies and pumpkin pies and turkey and stuffing. However, they would do it. And so this was at the end of the harvest cycle, so everyone would have been brought in their food. It was a great celebration, and they were celebrating God's faithfulness. Multitudes of people would come to Jerusalem to gather together and feast. It was a a wonderful and festive time of year. People came dressed in their best clothes. It was colorful. It was referred to as the season of gladness and the season of joy. It is a feast that is rich with biblical symbolism and biblical significance. In particular, what this feast shows is it reminds them of God's deliverance, it reminds them of God's forgiveness, and it also looks forward to the future that God has for them. And it's really important for us to understand this. So it reminds them of God's deliverance. What would happen is that once a year when this feast would come, all of the people were no longer allowed to sleep in their houses. Instead, they set up tents or booths or little tabernacles all over the city. 
they would all go outside. They'd set these things up. Their shelters had to be built according to rabbinical code, which for this feast required that the walls would be really thin so that to remind them that they were sojourners in the wilderness when God delivered them out of Egypt. They had to be really thin because they needed a structure that could be put down and taken up really quickly in case God was calling them to move. In addition, the roof of the structure had to be able to be somewhat see-through so that as they were laying in there, they could look up and see the stars. And that was to be a reminder that God had led, led them through the wilderness and that the stars is that the Lord is the one who is over the stars and to remind them of this time when they didn't have, um, when they didn't have a home and they didn't have a permanent dwelling. And so they would set up these things, they'd set them up on the roofs, everybody would be out of their house, houses, people would come into the city, and there, the, the, there would be these tabernacles, these little booths, set up over the entire city. Then once a day, in the morning, they would gather together at the temple for a procession through the city. They would gather at the temple, and when the priest saw that things were ready, he would begin the procession. But to be ready meant that the people needed to have two things is that in everybody's hand, they needed to have an ethrog and a lilav. And what an ethrog is, is that it was a piece of citrus fruit. And they would carry the piece of citrus fruit. And the citrus fruit was a reminder that God was the one who brought them into the land of blessing, the land of fruit, and the land of abundance. And in the other hand, they would carry a, um, they would carry a lulav, which actually had three branches in it. It would have a palm branch, a willow branch, and a myrtle branch. And those three branches would be bound together. And the reason for those three branches, it would, be, it would signify the different types of trees that they went through on their stages of journey from coming out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. And so they would begin this. When everything was ready, they would begin this processional. And they would have, and everybody would walk with their with their ethrog held out and their palm branches held out, and they would wave. And this was a reminder to them that God was the one who delivered them, that God was the one who had delivered them out of Egypt, that his presence was with them as they journeyed, that God did not leave them and did not forsake them while they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, that God is the one who will bring them, who has brought them, and who will bring them into the land of eternal, into the land of eternal blessing. So the feast symbolized God's deliverance. It also was a picture of God's forgiveness. Because at the front of the line of this feast, as it progressed, was a priest, was the high priest. And when everybody was ready, the priest would pull out a a gold flagon or, or giant pitcher, and he would lead through the city with this giant pitcher that he had. And they would walk down across the city, they would leave the temple and they would leave the temple up here where they had all gathered together, and they would process through the city, all the people holding out their Ethrog and Lulav. They would progress through the city and come down to the Pool of Salome. Once they got down to the Pool of Salome, the high priest would take his pitcher and he would dip it into the water, and as he was dipping it into the water, he would read a passage such as Isaiah 12, which would say, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now, we need to understand the connection between water and salvation and the significance for this feast. And this comes from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, 
What happened at this point in the, the, the story of the people of Israel is that God had sent the plagues upon Egypt. He had led them through the Red Sea. Parting of the waters had brought judgment upon the army of Pharaoh and led them into the wilderness. They have not yet received the Ten Commandments, but they're wandering in the wilderness. And as they're there, the people began grumbling and complaining. And they grumble and complain that they don't have enough water to drink. And they're saying, wouldn't it have been better if we just died in Egypt as opposed to coming out here? And they're so mad about it. They're so mad that God hasn't given them as much water as they want. They're so angry about this that they decide or they start threatening that they're going to stone Moses. All right? Is that if you can't kill God, if you can't throw stones at God, throw them at the next best. Throw them at Moses, his leader. So this grumbling continues, and what Moses, God tells Moses to do is he says, Gather the elders together with your rod, and I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb, at this mountain which, where the Ten Commandments would eventually come from. And at this point, if, you have a, if you're aware of what happens in the Bible, we should say, whoa, something is about to happen. Okay? Because when God says, whenever God says to his people, Gather the elders together... It is almost always a time of judgment. The people have been rebelling against God. They've been grumbling and complaining against him. They deserve death. And God says, gather the elders together. And so we see this at other times in the Old Testament. We see, for example, a time when they were, um, someone had stolen something, some of the things that God had told them not to do. And what happened is they gathered the elders together from the heads of the different tribes, and judgment was rendered, and the family that had created, had, had, done this perpetration, the whole earth opened up and the whole family was swallowed up and they were killed. Another time, uh, when Moses, when Aaron and Miriam rebelled against, when they rebelled against Moses, God's judgment came and they gave her leprosy. Another time, there was uh, that, uh, several other examples where God's judgment came upon them and the way that occurred was that the elders were gathered together And everybody knows, as the elders are being gathered together, that they're being gathered together because the people have been grumbling about God, and not only that, they've been thinking about stoning Moses. So, God says, gather the elders together. And he says to them, bring your rod with you. Now, the rod, for Moses, in biblical usage, was always, almost always, was always the rod of justice. So, Imagine this in your household. Gather the kid, get, gather, gather everyone together, and get the rod. Okay? That's the situation. Gather the elders together and grab the rod of justice. Because it was the rod that, uh, the rod of justice, it was the rod that Moses used when he confronted Pharaoh. That it was his rod that turned into a snake. It was his rod when he was bringing judgment on Pharaoh, Pharaoh through God that turned the river into the Nile River into blood. It was when they approached the Red Sea for it to, to part and the, and the parting of the Red Sea that God, Moses took his rod of justice and he thrust it in the ground. It was the rod that again and again is used as the symbol that God is about to bring judgment upon those who are evildoers. So, God says to Moses, Moses, grab the elders together and get the rod and meet me on the mountain. So, they gather together on the mountain. As they get up on the mountain, God says to Moses, he says, gather the elders, get your rod, and I will stand before you at the rock at Mount Horeb. 
and I will stand before you. So they're all gathered together. God as the judge, Moses with his rod, the elders all gathered around. Everyone knows that the people deserve to die because of the rebellion that they've, they've committed. They know they deserve to be executed. And this is what God says to Moses. He says, Moses, I will stand before you at the rock. And then he says to Moses, Moses, grab the rod and strike the rock. The rock where the presence of God was. And so what God is doing through Moses is saying there is judgment that is due. But God commands Moses to take the rod of judgment and the rod of justice and to strike the rock that was the symbol of the presence of God standing before them. Is that God says, as he gathers the people together, and as Moses strikes this rock, what God is doing is that God is saying, I will take the judgment that you deserve. The justice that is due, I will take it upon myself. Strike the rock. And when Moses strikes the rock, what happens is that the rock bursts forth with life. It bursts forth with a river, with a fountain of water. So that the people who were dying in the desert, that their thirst could be quenched and that they could have life and that they could have their, their, their thirst quenched. God took the judgment, and instead of invoke or exacting judgment upon the people and upon the elders, God took the justice himself, and when he did so, he gave them life, and the water gushed out as a symbol of life. Forgiveness instead of judgment. Life for quenching their deep thirst. So, as they gather back together, the water was a symbol of forgiveness. The feast was a symbol of deliverance. And it was a symbol of God's forgiveness tied within the water that God, instead of that God takes the judgment himself and that he offers the water to give life to those, to those who are thirsty. The third thing it signifies is it gives a picture about the future. So what would happen is that they would gather together, the priest would come down, scoop up the water, and then everybody would then process back to the city. They were down here at the Pool of Siloam. They would gather together. They would move back up. They would go up the large ramps. They would enter into the temple courts. As they entered into the temple courts, they would come through. They would come through. They would process through the water gate, and they would come in to the temple. There at the temple, the priest would come in with the water, and he would circle around the altar of God one time. He would climb the stairs of the altar, and then he would pour out the water into a basin that was there before the water. And this was a picture of their future. In particular, it was a picture, as Zechariah reveals in his prophecy several hundred years before. Zechariah said, on that day, living waters shall flow, for, flow out from Jerusalem. Half of them to the Eastern Sea and half of them to the Western Sea. And so what this is a picture of is that as the priest pours out the water, this water of salvation, this living water, instead of judgment, there is going to be life given to the nations. It says there is a future day coming 
when from Jerusalem rivers of water, living waters, plural, will flow out from Jerusalem to the east and to the west. The living waters will flow to the ends of the earth, that those who are thirsty, that those who are, who are wandering, those who are out in the desert of the nations would gather together and that they would be, their, their thirst would be quenched. Zechariah goes on to say that the Feast of Booths, that this is actually, this festival, the season of gladness, was actually a, a, a picture and a symbol of the glorious future of the people of God. That the Feast of Booths represented the day of restoration, the day of the great restoration, the day of the great feast, the day of the universal feast of booths when the na- for the nations. And Zechariah says that judgment comes upon all nations who do not participate in the Feast of Booths. That's what he says. Judgment comes upon the nations that don't gather together to participate in this great feast. Judgment comes upon the nations that don't celebrate the salvation that God has provided through Israel. So this feast is a picture, and a visual picture, of God's deliverance, that he is the one who brings him into the land of blessing, of God's Uh, forgiveness, that he is the one who heals them and forgives them and gives them life when they deserve judgment. And it is a picture of the future, of the day when all the nations with people from the ends of the earth will gather together and drink deeply of the living water that is flowing out of Jerusalem. This feast went on for seven days. But on the last and great day of the feast, something different occurred. Yes, there was still, the multitudes would still gather together, but it would be the day when the largest crowds would gather together, because this was the great day of the feast. They would gather together, the multitudes would gather together, they would gather into the temple courtyards. Everyone who had participated in other days would be there, would be this huge crowd, The people would have in their hands, be ready for the procession. They would have their ethrog and their lulav. And then they would then again proceed down to the pool of Siloam, carrying the golden pitcher. As they came down to the golden, as they came down to the pool of Siloam, the people would be reciting the halal, which is Psalms 113 to 118. They'd be reciting these psalms as a group, chanting them together. The the priest would gather up the water. The procession would return back through the city. And the people would be chanting Psalms 113 to 118, which they had known and which they had already had memorized, which they had known for years. And they would be chanting, Who is like the Lord our God? Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed. Be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks down on the heavens and on the earth? He raises the poor from the dust, and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and with princes of people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So this great multitude 
would be chanting these psalms collectively. And they would come back through, they would go up the long ramp, and they would enter through the water gate. And when they entered through the water gate, the shofar, or trumpets, would blow three times. And they would proceed through. And the priest would then come through the water gate. He would approach the altar. And instead this time, he would circle the altar not one time, but he would circle the altar seven times. Drawing upon the memory of what God did with the people of God when they circled the walls of Jericho seven times. And after circling it seven times, they would... The priest would circle around and the other priest would join with a pitcher of wine and they would ascend to the top of the steps of the altar. And they would wait there until they got to Psalm 118. As the people are chanting the psalm, the psalms louder and louder and louder. And when it came to Psalm 118, the people would shout out in unison at the top of their voices and they would say, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. And it would continue. It would culminate and they would say, you are are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. And when they finished saying that, the priest with his pitcher of water would hold it up, and the people would chant for him to hold up the pitcher higher. And so he'd hold it up higher. And they would chant for him to hold it up even higher. And he would hold it up even higher. It was considered the greatest joy in an Israelite's life if he could see the water being poured out. And it is into this drama, into the height of this moment that Jesus steps up and he stands up on the last day of the feast, the great day. Jesus stood up and before these multitudes in the temple, he cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, I am your deliverance. I am the one who has journeyed with you. I am the one who brings you into the land of blessing. I am your forgiveness. I am the one who was 
who will be struck by the rod of God's justice so that you could have life. I am the one who is struck by the wrath of God that living water may, may flow to you, that you may drink of living water and have healing for your soul. I am your future. I am the one who has poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I am the one who brings healing to the nations. I am the great festival feast of the kingdom of God. I am the one through whom all of the nations are invited together to feast. Perpetual joy. And so today, Jesus still says, if you are thirsty, if you want the deep longings, the deep thirst of your soul to be satisfied, if you want the unfulfilled desires in your life to be met by the indwelling spirit of the by the indwelling Spirit of God, come and drink. Come and drink deeply. And the way you drink, verse 38 says, whoever believes in me, that's how you drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, that is how you drink. Come and drink. For life can begin now through Jesus. Soul-quenching satisfaction can begin now through believing in Jesus. But here's what's incredible. Is there's actually something better. There's actually something better. You know, when my family goes to the beach in the summertime, if we go there, one of my favorite things to do is I'll pick up a six-pack of IBC root beer, make sure it's extra chilled and cold. Go sit on the beach as the sun is setting. Crack open our IBCs and enjoy the beauty of the moment. And for me, at that moment, life is good. Right? I mean, it's a moment of contentedness. It's a moment of all is right with the world, at least in this moment. It's a moment of pure satisfaction. But the living water of Jesus gives us something better than personal satisfaction. Notice what he says. Jesus stood up On the last day of the feast, the great day, and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John clarifies, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus has not yet been glorified. What John's identifying is that the Spirit of God had not been poured out because Christ has not yet been uh, crucified on the cross, resurrected from the grave, and ascended into heaven. But what Jesus is declaring is that if you drink of Jesus Christ, he gives you his Spirit. If you believe in Jesus Christ, 
His Spirit indwells you. You know, sometimes, you know, it's easy for us as Christians to say, you know what, if it would just have been so much better. If I could just have walked with Jesus, like, it would have just been, that would have been amazing. And it would have been amazing. I mean, I, I just wish I could, I, that would have been so much better. What Scripture tells us is that the Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you. That the Holy Spirit dwelling in you is better than having the physical presence of Christ without the Spirit beside you. What Jesus is declaring is that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to know him and you're going to know his spirit in such a way that it not only quenches your thirst, but from that quenching flows forth, flows forth rivers of living water to others. That your satisfaction overflows to others. That the spirit of God works in you and works through you and extends to the ends of the earth. And he says, it is rivers. Out of his heart will flow rivers, not not creeks or, or crooks, depending upon where you're from. Not, not trickles, not dribbles, not a water fountain. Rivers, plural, rivers of living water will flow from you and out of you and through you. That when a person comes and believes in Jesus Christ and satisfies their thirst in him, that satisfaction, that new life, that living water flows through that person to others. And like the river of living water that Zechariah prophesied, is that through the death, through the trial and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, and through belief in him as his followers, what happens now is that there are rivers of living water that extend from Jerusalem through the finished work of Christ. Rivers of living water that flow out through the people of God to the ends of the earth. So that these living waters flowing through the people of God would draw all of God's people together to participate in the great and final Feast of Booths. This truth is a challenge for Christians. I would say it is a challenge in particular for Christians who like to say, well, you know what, I I just do my thing and I keep my faith private. I just keep my faith private, I just do my own thing. You know, I mean, you know, Jesus and I were good. And if you have that perspective, let me ask you, what is your salvation for? What, what, is it, what is it for? What is your drinking of Jesus for? And what Scripture makes clear is that what it is for is much more than the claustrophobic confines of our own self-defined little worlds. That what it is for is much more than your individual personal satisfaction. That what it is for is for rivers, rivers of living water to flow and to give life. Give life to the world that people may drink of Jesus Christ and know his deliverance and know his forgiveness and know his future. John Bunyan, who wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress, which is the second most published book in the history of the world, who was also locked in prison for many years for his Christian faith, Bunyan knew this well. He wrote, There was a man, the world did think him mad, 
the more he gave away, the more he had. There was a man, the world did think him mad, the more he gave away, the more he had. Pastor Kent Hughes, reflecting on this in light of Jesus' statement, says, when our lives become stagnant and we begin to be introspective and focus on ourselves, the remedy is not to concentrate on our own satisfaction, but on satisfaction in Christ that is seeking to flow through us. Then when we become stagnant and begin focusing on ourselves, the remedy is for these living waters to be let loose. These living waters to flow to people who are thirsty and dying of thirst. That we would be the people of God who God uses, that others would have life, and life abundantly in Jesus Christ. The Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, also went by another name. It was also called the Feast of Ingathering, the Feast of Gathering Everything In, Gathering All the Harvest In, the Feast of Ingathering. And it's what Zechariah saw prophesied, and prophesied in his book, that there would be a day coming when the nations would be gathered in, when people across the globe would be gathered into the great Feast of Booths would be gathered into this great celebration of God's deliverance and God's forgiveness and God's future. Indeed, Scripture points forward to this day in Revelation chapter 7. The day of the great ingathering is revealed. John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before their Lamb and clothed in white with palm branches in their hand. you know why palm branches? Because it's talking about the Feast of Ingathering. It's talking about the day of celebration when the great festive feast has finally come, when the nations have finally gathered together. And on that day of the great feast, they will gather together when the harvesters who were sent into the fields that were white with the harvest, they will gather together with those who they have harvested. They will wave the palm branches, their lulavs. They will wave wave them before the throne. And they will cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels Standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, John sees that they fell on their face before the throne and they worship God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and, and, and thanksgiving and, and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Do you see what? Revelation is giving a picture of? It's giving a picture of the, of the great Feast of Tabernacles. When the ingathering has occurred. When the rivers have flowed to the end of the earth and the peoples of the earth of tribes, languages, and tongues have gathered together in this moment, waving their palm branches to say, today is the day. It is here. 
The season of unending joy and unending gladness has finally come. But you know what, brothers and sisters? You don't have to wait for that day to know the presence of God. You know, 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah saw this day coming. And he said, and as Isaiah invites, he says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come to the living waters that will quench your thirst and become a spring of living water through you. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why? Because you're in the land of blessing. You're in the land of fruitfulness. You don't need to buy anything because there is such an abundant feast for everyone who was gathered together. And if Isaiah could invite the thirsty to drink from the waters and invite people into the land of blessing, what Jesus does on the last and great day of the feast, he says, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, if you are thirsty, Believe in Jesus and drink deeply. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we long for the great feast of ingathering. Lord, we long for the day when you will gather people from every tongue, tribe, race, and nation to worship you in unending praise. Father, we confess to you and we repent that we so easily think that our salvation is for us. When your word makes clear again and again that our salvation, though we are the recipients of it and the beneficiaries of it, our our salvation is for the life of the world. Our salvation is so that rivers of living water would flow to the ends of the earth that people of every tongue, tribe, race, and nation would gather together at the great feast of ingathering because you, Lord, have done your work because you are worthy of honor and praise. Lord, we long for that day and Lord, would you be pleased to use us as your people to believe in you and to use rivers of living water to give life to a hurting and dry world. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Worship him. Stand, please.